It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of murder, drugs, violence, death by drug overdose, and profanity. In the case of the Burger Chef murders, it's fair to say that there is no more important witness than a man named Alan Pruitt. We know for a fact that Pruitt was there at the Burger Chef, standing outside in a position to possibly see everything that transpired on the night the kids were abducted from the restaurant. This means that we have to pay attention to Pruitt and his story doesn't mean we endorse it. But when a person is known to be at the scene of a crime and possibly in a position to witness what's happening, we need to listen to that person. Now, it's important to note that we don't know if the story Pruitt told was true or if he was, in fact, lying. And of course, if he was telling a lie, that raises other questions such as, why was he lying? Was he trying to cover up for someone? Maybe even cover up for himself? As we mentioned in an earlier episode of the podcast, Alan Pruitt actually died earlier this year. Since then, we've been listening to the many hours of interviews we did with Pruitt, because basically this is all we have left. And we've pulled out some excerpts from those to help give a fuller picture of the man and his story. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach 
is we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is You Never Can Forget, The Man Who Was There. get to the stories Pruitt told us, let's talk about what sort of person he was back in the 1970s when the murders happened. I want to ask you, though, so you mentioned you were of age at the time. You were like 21 when this 22. happened? 22. 22. Yeah. So you're so young. What, what were you like back then? I mean, you mentioned you kind of going to the galaxy, having fun with your friend. What sort of it things was, were you like up to? How can I put this in plain English? I was in a what you call a real partier, mm-hmm. more of a drinker. And it was more of a weekend drinking type thing. Right, right. You know, I'd get off work, boy, you know, that's the first damn thing I'd do, go to the liquor store and get a case of damn beer. I mean, that was, that was my uh, back 40, is what I called it, you know, back in the day. Never dealt, never messed with drugs. You know, smoked a little weed occasionally with, you know, some friends, but sure. that's about as far as it ever went. Yeah. You know, nothing rowdy. And as I got older, I got to meet biker guys because I had an old Harley and stuff, you know. Right. Kind of fit into the program. And Kevin and I talked about that, you know, that people's mentioned that bikers might have been involved in that murder. Mm -hmm. There ain't no damn way in hell. Really? Why do you say that? Because I've known so many of them. They weren't violent. Not the bikers I knew from Sons of Silence. He also admitted freely that he had a bit of a temper back in those days. Like I punched the windshield of my car one time and about bled to death because me and David got in an argument over a girl. And, uh, I mean, I was bleeding so bad, David freaked the fuck out. He said, man, you need to get the hospital. You're going to bleed to death, man. I said, fuck it. So I pulled my T-shirt off, wrapped it around my hands as tight as I could. And I tell you what, and that was at Kmart up there on Washington Street. By the time we got back to my mom and dad's house, David was crying. He said, man, he goes, I can't believe you got so fucking mad over that fucking bitch. I said, dude, you just pissed me off the way you talking to me. And I tell you what, the fucking floorboard of my car was full of fucking blood. Mm-hmm. And David that was freaking out, thought I might have hit a main artery or something. This is you know? terrible. When was this? I don't know. 
71, 72. That's really, that's really scary. Yeah. You could have died. Yeah, but I didn't give a shit, you know. I was just over a fucking girl up. that was a, known as a fucking slut. He said <laughs> something to me and it pissed me off. I said, bam. I guess would be Ran my damn hand through the windshield of my Pontiac. And I mean, blood was just gushing. <laughs> You know, and he was freaking out. I, well, I'm sorry, man. You know, I, I didn't mean for you to get so fucking upset. And, you know, a couple of days later, we got to talking about it. And, you know, I said, you're right, dude. I, you just disrespected me, and it pissed me the fuck off, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, if you look closely, I still got scars where that... That T-shirt was soaked with blood within two minutes. I mean, it was dripping that bad. Mm -hmm. When I got home, I can't remember what I, I think I took some electrical tape and wrapped it around my wrist really tight to try to, never went to the hospital over. Pruitt said he actually knew one of the victims, Jane Freet. They both attended Avon High School in Avon, Indiana a suburb on the west side of Indianapolis, not too far away from Speedway. What was Jane like? Jane was a very pleasant, sweet-spoken girl. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, when she worked at the Burger Chef in Plainfield, yeah. I used to get in a lot of trouble with her. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a 69 Charger, and I used to do burnouts around the parking lot. Uh-huh. And... She'd have the little drive window open, and burnt smoke would go rolling inside the restaurant. <laughs> She'd be at the window doing this stuff like this. <laughs> and one day, me and a buddy of mine went in there and got something to eat. She goes, now, she goes, you know, I'm not jumping your butt, but she goes, you keep doing that, they're going to end up um, where you won't be allowed on the premises. I think it's time now to tell the story that Alan Pruitt shared with police way back in the early 1980s. What he told police then, basically, was that he and his friend, David, went to visit an under-21 nightclub called The Galaxy. The Galaxy was in Speedway, Indiana, and it was located across the street from the Burger Chef. Not literally right across the street, because right across the street there was a shopping center, and this was kind of in the back of the shopping center. They, they spent some time at that nightclub and then decided that uh, it was time to leave, but Alan said he was hungry. So the two young men went to Dunkin' Donuts. Keep in mind that according to Alan Pruitt's story, this is actually one element of his story that does remain pretty consistent, both he and, and his friend were quite drunk that night. And let's emphasize that the Dunkin' Donuts actually shared a parking lot with the Burger Chef. What happened, what did Alan say happened when they went over to the Dunkin' Donuts? So basically, Alan Pruitt initially described to police that, you know, he's drunk, he's hungry, he's kind of in a weird place. He, he starts walking around outside the Dunkin' Donuts. He starts moving around. He's not really in his right mind. He's just kind of wandering. I think in his original story, it was because he felt like he might get sick. 
So you're drunk. You don't want to throw up inside the Dunkin' Donuts at like, you know, midnight. You go outside to walk it off. So that's his story. And he basically says that he sees two cars, a regular sedan sort of situation, and a van outside of the Burger Chef behind the restaurant. And he basically describes a scene where he sees two individuals abducting the four employees. And he recognizes them. Yes. One is Tim Willoughby, who who also went to Avon High School, and who he sees putting Jane Freet and Ruth Shelton in a car, in Jane's car, and driving off with them. And then he sees a man named Jeff Reed, who was a, a sort of a, a staple of the West Side, sort of a known figure, kind of a party animal guy. And he sees him um, abducting Danny Davis, putting him in the van, and then um, attacking Mark Flemons, slamming him into the van, and then putting him in the van and driving off. And he sees this. For some reason, despite the violence, he tells police that he thought they were all just going out to party. And not only that, but Pruitt claims that he had some background information, some context. Namely, that Jane Freet was selling drugs on behalf of Tim Willoughby and had been shorting him. And that Tim Willoughby was upset about this and that this was supposedly what triggered the events of that evening. Which also kind of throws some of the elements of though they went off to party together into question because that, you know, he's kind of his story's already having some weird aspects to it. So then he sees uh, the van drive off and the car drive off. Uh, Why don't you say what he says happened the next day? This is where things get really um, off the rails, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, So the next day, his story continues. He goes to a local Dairy Queen in Avon, hanging out, just having a chill day. Jeff Reed and Tim Willoughby pull up in a van. They lean out to Alan. They say, hey, you want to smoke? Uh, blunt with us and go drive around he's like sure and he gets in the van and they go driving around it's not just jeff reed tim willoughby and alan in the van in his story he also says that marianne higginbotham who was tim's girlfriend was in the van and she was highly agitated she was very upset she was crying she was saying to tim things like pardon my french but you know basically like you can't keep doing this shit and, and there's a conflict and it's not really clear exactly what she's talking about at first. And they keep on driving off. They're getting into more and more isolated rural landscape to the point where they go to an area that was known as the devil's backbone, which we've been there several times. It's very isolated. It's like farming community with an, on this kind of winding road, uh, it's it's kind of a, a forested area that leads into cornfields then. Um, and it's, it's along this kind of uh, creek body of water. So very isolated. Jeff Reed and Tim Willoughby during this whole ride, according to Alan, have been asking him, so you were at the burger shelf last night. What did you see? You know, they're, they're asking pointed questions. He's beginning to get nervous as he's smoking pot with these guys. And they're, they don't seem that friendly anymore. Marianne's crying and freaking out. And so they get to the devil's backbone. They all get out of the car. And 
basically Marianne at this point reveals that she was forced by Tim and Jeff to uh, participate in the abductions and the murders of the Burger Chef uh, employees. At this point, Alan claims he had no idea they'd even been murdered. He didn't know what he saw the previous night. And then Marianne turns to him and says, Alan, they're going to kill you to, you know, run. So he runs. He hears one bullet, uh, you know, one gunshot as he flees. And he manages to get to a road and hitchhike to safety. So it's a very dramatic story. It's a very dramatic story. I think we're going to plan an episode where we talk a little bit more about who Tim Willoughby was uh, and his background. So let's leave that aside largely for now. But I think it is fair to say that at this point, just briefly, Tim Willoughby and Marianne Higginbotham had been missing for several months. They both disappeared on the official record in June of 1978. Tim and Marianne had not been seen for several months, but... There was a witness sighting that we find credible that places Tim in the Speedway Avon area in November of 1978. We'll get more into that later. We don't want to get too far afield because right no. now we're talking about Alan Pruitt. Uh, now, as you, you're here through this episode, Pruitt would back down on a lot of the elements of that story. Basically all of it, <laughs> except that he was drunk and there. But when I first met him, he was very clear that one element that he would not back down on was the identities of the two people he saw. But i tell you what, I do know what, and I would say this on my daughter's grave. That I did see that fucking van that night, and I seen two guys, and I swear to God, I'll say it over and over again. It was Tim Willoughby and Jeffrey. It had to be. If not, they got two identical twins out here in this world, you know. And I'll never change that. Never. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let's listen to the version of the story that Alan Pruitt told Anya when he first met her. Me and my buddy was up Speedway that night, Mm -hmm. and we were drunk, intoxicated. We was at the Galaxy, and I had not eaten nothing, you know, that day. I got off work. He picked me up in his car. We went to the Galaxy, hung out there, and we, like I said, we was intoxicated, and there was an IPD cop at the door, Mm -hmm. (coughs) because I think back then they stamped your hand. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. Sure, and I was Rather really afraid, you know, <laughs> David was underage and I was of age. Yeah. You know, and David was afraid that he might want to ID us, him being underage, you know, then I'm going to take the fall for it. Sure, you got an so, alcohol. Right, right. Right, so we got out of there and the Burke Course Bird Shelf was closed. Yeah. But Dunkin' Donuts was open and David's ex-girlfriend worked at Dunkin' Donuts at the time. Yeah. And we went there, I got a cup of coffee and a couple of donuts, I think of them, what are they called, Long John's? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I got the cream filling inside of Yeah, them. yeah. So I scarfed a couple of them down, took a few good swigs of coffee, <laughs> and David was leaning on a cigarette machine. I mean, he was, he was drunk. <laughs> and uh, we got out of there. And, uh, but, I like I was telling Kevin, when we first pulled into the parking lot, I saw a van sitting over Burger Chef parking lot. And I saw two guys that I re- thought I recognized. Okay. You know, I thought it was Stan Willoughby and Jeff Freed. As the times went on here lately, the more I think about it, I could have been really wrong as far as identifying them guys, you know, because I don't want to convict. I mean, Jeff Freed, uh-huh. Kevin Sensor, is deceased. He's dead, okay. Even though he is, I don't want to convict a wrong person. You know sure, what I'm saying? Sure, sure. And, like, make his, make his family feel bad if, if it, he wasn't it could him. Have been, it could have been Jane's brother that was up there that night. Was it a bearded guy and a guy yeah. without a beard? Yes. So it could and have been Tim Willoughby. Tim Willoughby didn't have a beard at the time. So you saw, you see this van. You see two guys who may be people you, you, you've seen before, but maybe not. Right. And like I said, I wasn't talking. I was very drunk. You were drunk. And, yes. and, and, and maybe it's them. And, and maybe it was not. dark. So, yeah. you know, my vision was 100%. Yeah. And I appreciate now I'm you. blind in my right eye because oh, of diabetes, sorry. you yeah. know. So my wonder is just overlook it. Totally. It, it, oh, don't worry about it. Don't it worry. It bugs me bad. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But so, okay, so these two, so you see something. And then do you see anything else after that or 
No, and see, that's what I tell Kevin why I feel so bad about it. Yeah. I should have walked over there if I thought it was two guys I know, knew. But, you know, like Kevin said, then they might have killed me, too. Yeah, but, you might have been grabbed. But it could have stopped it, too. You know what I'm saying? There's no way of knowing. Did you see no, the kids, though, around the van or anything like that? Huh? Did you see the kids uh, from the Burger Chef around the van no. or come out? No, no. That, in essence, is a version of the story he would stick to. Here is him telling it again. Like I told you guys, I told Kramer from the very fucking get-go, I saw a fucking van. David don't remember seeing a van. He goes, I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. You know? And I can understand that because David was fucking drunk. I was fucking drunk. But I remember seeing a fucking van, and I seen two fucking guys. I never seen no kids being put in, in a van. I did hear some like noises, which hell, that could have been a fucking car going down the street. You know, I I don't know. But over time, we found that Alan be, would begin to waffle on one of the identifications in particular. Correct me on this, Kevin. Like I said, I was intoxicated that night. What if it wasn't Jeff Reed I saw? But it was Jane's brother I saw. Right. Because in my personal opinion, I don't... What little I knew about Jeff Reed, he never struck me as a fucking killer. Now, being a roughneck, maybe whooping somebody's ass, yes. But not a killer. What about James? He was a weird son of a bitch, is all I can tell you. So he's talking there about uh, Jimmy Freed or James Freed, who, of course, was uh, one of Jane Freed's brothers. Who, who is Jimmy Freed? So Jimmy Freed was, I believe, Jane Freed's older brother. And he had some pretty significant trouble with the law. He was a person who was eventually arrested in the in the 80s for being part of a you know, a pretty prominent cocaine smuggling ring. And that fact has prompted people who study the Burger Chef murders to wonder if perhaps he, his drug dealing possibly led to what happened at the Burger Chef, either directly or indirectly. Now, that's not to say that people necessarily believe that Jane Freet was part of that smuggling operation, but the possibility that people went after her to get to her brother or that she somehow became ensnared in supporting her brother, uh, maybe loaning him some money, and that made her a target. Uh, so that's been a significant theory over the years. And Jimmy Freed, of course, always denied having any knowledge of what happened to his sister, so it's important to state that. But it it's, it's definitely interesting given how much you hear about drugs possibly being connected to what happened at the burger chef that night and this is a theory you hear mentioned a lot that jimmy freed was somehow involved we do know that jimmy freed went to the restaurant that night which seems possibly significant yes he visited the the burger chef restaurant earlier that day during business hours with his son and at that time jane freed was not on duty uh, I also want to note, we, I don't know how much value you should place on the sketches of the suspects in this case, but many, many people who have seen Jimmy Freed or seen his picture 
have noted that he bears a strong resemblance to the so-called bearded man sketch. Do you believe that Jimmy Freed resembles Jeff Reed at all in terms of going back to Alan's story about him confusing them? I can say that they both are white men with brown hair and beards. To me, they don't look that similar, but if you're kind of just generically looking at it, there are those similarities. Well, the problem is uh, Alan Pruitt knew Jeff Reed personally. He knew Jimmy Freed personally. Yes. So I don't really understand how he could have confused them. Uh, I do want to note that uh, talking about Jimmy Freed became a significant running theme in our conversations with Alan. He would frequently try to point the finger at Jimmy Freed. And we're going to play several examples of him doing that. I want to note that he did not begin to do this until after I informed him that Jimmy Freet was dead. Yeah, that seems very interesting and kind of goes back to maybe accusing Tim Willoughby of this crime after he'd been missing possibly for several months. Right. So there's a recurring theme of Alan maybe throwing some accusations at people who are not there to defend themselves. So let's listen to some of the things that uh, Pruitt said about Jimmy Freed. Well, I'll tell you what, Kevin. I've always believed that he was the reason why the kids got killed. James was. Yeah. You know, I, what did he do? Did he rip somebody off? Did he fuck somebody over? I don't know. You know, but... Who sit there and I try to put things into perspective the way I kind of look at it. It was a killing to me that was like a revenge killing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why, I've thought about this so many times, why would you shoot two kids with a gun? Why would you stab another one in the chest twice with a big knife? And the other one supposedly took off running and hit a tree. Right. Was he scared to death and they took off, he was scared for his life and took off running? I mean, I, I try to picture this shit in my mind all the time. But it just seems like to me that Jane was murdered in a way of hatred, revenge, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. I'm not saying that James Freak, that James Freak did the actual killings, but could he have been involved in something so heavily that he fucked somebody over and pissed them off? And they went after his sister, or maybe trying to find him, and they couldn't find him. They went after his sister and the other three kids. I tell you what, I never knew James Free, James Free, except from school. But he was a weird son of a bitch. I mean, he was fucking weird. Like another Charles Manson, the way, the way I always kind of thought of him. Uh, Pruitt even indicated to us that Jimmy Freed actually played a role in Alan Pruitt's decision to come forward with his story. Can you tell me about how you kind of, because I mean, that's a very intense decision, I'm sure, to kind of make this say, hey, we're going to come forward and say, we might have seen something. When did you make that choice? Like, can you tell me more through about the process of making that choice? I don't know. I was in jail at the time, and I think I told one of the turnkeys I wanted to talk about a case. Mm-hmm. I think that's what started it all. Yeah. Because, you know, I d- didn't have a whole lot of information. You know, I no. just thought, you know, it might 
be able to something that might be able to help. Yeah. Now, I was in jail when Jane's brother was arrested. Oh. Yeah, this is a good one. And, you know, I, I was with this girl, and I was due, I was due to have a daughter. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, baby. And I was kind of in a bad mood, and I was in there for another probation violation, I think it was. And he got arrested for a drug charge, Kevin, yeah. what it was. And he come through the door, and I saw him, and I said something about, I heard you the reason them kids got killed. Oh. And he goes, what's the motherfucker you talking about, you know? And I just kind of walked away from him, because like I said, he was a freak. Yeah. And uh, Sounds scary. a little bit later that day, he come up to me, he goes, all I could say is my sister got me in a whole lot of damn trouble. That's all he right. ever yeah. said to me. Never said another damn word the whole time he was in there. That's bizarre. To it say is. That. What was your reaction? Were you just like... I didn't know what to say, you know. And like I told Kevin, I never told the cops that because that was my word against his. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had no proof. Now, if there had been another person sitting there and heard him say that... Yeah, then you could have both done. But yeah. it wasn't like that. And I really do believe that Jane's brother was the cause of these kids being killed. Jeez. That's awful. You know, I mean, I have no proof. Mm-hmm. But if he was in this living room right now, he'd both say, boy, that dude's one strange character. He, he kind of gave a... He, you, you knew him, you kind of... From school, too. Sure, sure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, Alan Pruitt did not know Tim Willoughby as well as he knew Jimmy Freed, but he did share with us his impressions of Tim. Tim yeah. Willoughby, you you kind of you kind of knew him. You you all went to the same school. Mm -hmm. Did you see? What was he like? Do you remember? He was just, I don't know, just kind of a cold acting person. Mm. You know, when I wouldn't ever talk to you. You know, you, you know, might nod his head at you or something. I just want to reiterate, the reason that we take Alan Pruitt so serious is because we know he was there, an independent witness who was not 
at all connected with any of these people, identified him and placed him at the scene and said that he was indeed wandering between the Burger Chef and the Dunkin' Donuts that night. So that fact is not up for debate. But what he says about these men that he's accusing is up for debate. And his importance at the time was recognized. And in fact, the, the prosecutor of Marion County at the time was a man named Stephen Goldsmith. And Pruitt says that uh, Goldsmith offered him a deal. <coughs> when, when I was being investigated and when uh, that Marion County prosecutor, Stephen Goldsmith, yeah. when he came to me and gave me cl- complete clemency or whatever it is, he talked to me in person in front of a lawyer. He goes, Alan, Mr. Pruitt, he goes, as long as you didn't pull the trigger and kill them kids, I don't care if you was there involved partying with them, whatever. He goes, you're never going to be charged. And he made me sign the papers. Now, of, of course, from the beginning, many people wondered if a deal like this would become void because maybe Pruitt was actually involved in the murders themselves. Pruitt claims that Jim Cramer, an investigator with the Indiana State Police, let it be known that he thought that Pruitt might have been one of the killers. When Cramer, and I told her, this is what's always fucking bothered me, Kevin. That day Cramer told my brother in the Hughes County Courthouse, mm-hmm. he goes, my theory on David Adams and your brother that they were so intoxicated they killed them kids and don't remember doing it, and that's why they passed the polygraph test. I'm thinking to myself, bullshit. When I can remember everything I've ever done in my life, are you going to tell me, or tell my brother I killed four kids and don't remember it? Bullshit. You know, and that shit used to bother me, Kevin. I'm thinking, you know, what if, what if he's right? Bullshit. There ain't no fucking way. I can remember everything I've ever fucking done. Now, let's note that Jim Cramer has no recollection of saying anything like that to Alan Pruitt's brother. We also spoke with one of Pruitt's brothers at his memorial service, and he said that he felt that Cramer was a professional when he met him and they had a pleasant conversation and there was no no such thing uh, around this, you know, what, what Alan was making accusations around. What I find interesting from all of this is that Alan Pruitt himself admits that he has wondered if it was possible that he could have committed the murders himself in a blackout drunk state. What do you make of that? Um, it's a pretty significant statement from Alan. I mean, I don't know. It, it's like anything in this case. It's a black box. It's, I think, the fact that he acknowledged that he could be capable of that level of violence or participating in something so horrible in an altered state of mind, I think you have to look at that. It's sort of him at least playing with the idea in his mind, not necessarily coming clean on anything, but he's acknowledging that such a thing could happen. Uh, From time to time, Pruitt did offer us his own different theories of how the killings could have happened. Uh, Here's one of them. Because, you know, it's just like, I've talked to people about this case, you know, you know, why was Jane stabbed and the other two were shot. It's like maybe a guy had the gun and shot two of the kids 
and a woman had a knife and stabbed Jane to death and killed her. So they would use the gun to kill all three of them or all four of them. Yeah. That's the easiest way to kill people, just shoot them. Why, yeah. Yeah, why stab? Yeah. See, that's, that's what Connettina and I talked about too. If, if a girl was involved, the girl probably was the one that stabbed Jane and broke the knife handle off. You know, and the boyfriend could have had the gun and shot, you know, Ruth and the other Yeah, boy. that's right. As we talk about the theories that Alan Pruitt put forward, I think it's also really important to reflect on the man himself. This is a very complicated human being who we got to know over a number of years. And it, it's sort of hard to nail down Alan Pruitt because of his often changing stories and, and re recounting of his life. But we will note that one thing that was very clear to us is that this is a man who has suffered a lot of problems throughout his life. He at one point was committed to Central State, which is a mental, uh, a former mental asylum here in Indiana. Um, he got into legal trouble. A lot of legal trouble. A lot of legal trouble, substance abuse issues. He had a special needs child that he had to give up. Um, he, in his conversations with us, sort of seemed to hint at maybe perpetuating domestic violence at times. He had a brother who he was very close to, who died of cancer relatively young. That was particularly devastating for him. His family, his family members cared about him and, and tried to help him, but he often was a hard person to help because of some of these issues. He, it seemed like people would be trying to get him help and that he would make that very difficult for them, maybe in terms of not receiving it or not handling that well, if that makes sense. Uh, we can say some positive things about Pruitt. Uh, he really loved animals. He didn't take care of his bunnies that he had very well. Like, they would often die due to heat exposure. And he did not train his dog very well. We mentioned, you know, that it mauled somebody in the time that we knew him. But he did love animals. And I think that was genuine. I don't think he was in a place where he could really care for them very well. But he certainly had the intent to, I believe. Uh he could be very fun to talk to. He had a lot of interesting stories. He was very boisterous, as you can tell from the recordings. So he had a personality that made it interesting to speak to him. He was not an unpleasant person when you talk to him. He was notable for his uh, skilled mechanic work. He was always working on motorcycles and cars. And he was generous with his time. We, he was always willing to talk to us, and we appreciated that. <laughs> Although a lot of the talking definitely just drove us crazy because it was just taking us around in circles about his knowledge of the case. Uh, the end of Alan Pruitt's life, the final years, were not happy ones. His daughter, whom he loved very much, she died young. Uh, the cause of her death was not clear. Alan Pruitt believed that the death was because, because of a beating she received at the hands of a person she was romantically involved with. Uh, that death really devastated Alan, and it was a frequent topic of conversation. In addition to that, he had a son who he also loved very, very much. Who we met. Yes, he was a nice young man. He died uh, a couple of years back of uh, 
a drug overdose involving, I believe, fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And these deaths hit Alan very, very hard, as he told us. I'm not happy no more. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm grieving myself away, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, At times, Alan seemed to entertain violent fantasies about what he wanted to do to the people he blamed for the loss of his kids, namely the person who gave the drugs to his son and the person who beat his daughter. I want to see that motherfucker that caused my daughter's death. I want to see that motherfucker day go before the almighty maker, before I die. Yeah, you deserve that. That son of a bitch, I tell you what, beating her head off. I'll tell you what, dude, if I was 30 years younger and I got a hold of that son of a bitch, I'd like to grab him by his fucking head and beat his head on the goddamn asphalt out here. Yeah. You know, I hate to say this, mm-hmm. I've never hurt nobody in my entire life. But i tell you one thing, if I find this woman, God knows what I'm going to do. Is that the woman who gave him the drugs? Yeah. Jeez. Do you know who it is? Only thing I know about her is Nate Reese Burner here. She was a lot older than me. Uh, she told me she lived up around Belmont Morris area. And that she had two brothers that was in her restaurant business and they went bankrupt. So then I, I know about her, you know, just seeing her face and Are the police looking for her or anything? No. They said unless I had proof there was nothing they could do. That's not right. I know it's not, and I told the cops too. I said, you may not be able to do nothing, but by God, I can. I'll kill her, Kevin, Kevin mm. if I find her. I remember one conversation that we had with him that seemed somewhat remarkable. Um, He talked a bit about some of the suffering in his life and made some sort of statement, almost wondering what he had done or if he had done something that God was sort of punishing him. He also, in his conversation with us, hypothetically about the murders, he he would say things that basically made, made it clear that he felt that whoever did this, God would punish them. You know, they may have gotten away with it legally, but that they would suffer. So... That's something that I always wondered about. I wondered about that, too. Uh, By the end of his life, Pruitt started drinking again. His posts on Facebook became very sad and difficult to read. They were often about how miserable he was and how he was longing for death. He was also posting a lot about wanting to meet a young woman to live with him and marry him and fall in love, essentially. And this is at a time he was living with a woman he described as his wife, who to us seemed to be very devoted to him. Yeah, she's she was a really nice lady, and we enjoyed meeting her. 
So I'm not sure why he was posting things like that when he had someone in his life like her. It was a very it was a very erratic time, it seemed like for him. She moved out. Yes, she moved out. The last time we saw Alan, he was talking very excitedly about a beautiful young woman in Ohio who he was going to connect with. He said he she accepted his marriage proposal. They'd never met in person. We were concerned, but he's not a person that you necessarily can talk out of something like that. And Pruitt is not a man who ever had much money, but he had actually lucked into a thousand dollars at that point recently. And he sent the money to this woman apparently so she could repair her car to drive to meet him in Indianapolis. And she, of course she took the money, never made the trip to him. It was a catfishing, you know, and this was all in the spring of 2022. And Alan Pruitt died over the summer taking with him the answers to a lot of the mysteries about the Burgershev case. For me, Alan Pruitt is a person who is kind of representative of the Burgershev case in that it, um, no matter which way you go, something doesn't quite work out. Um, Like you almost get something and then it just crashes down on you. And that, you know, that's some, something that I think happened with his life, but also just something about the way he would tell stories about the case. It was very frustrating. It was maddening that you felt like maybe if you talk to him a little longer, you might get something. But, you know, he's always changing his stories, lying. And I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that he was covering up or was involved in the murders, but I'm also certainly far from convinced that he was not I think that has to be a possibility because when you have someone inserting themselves in the case who was there was confirmed to be there and then tells a bunch of lies and seems to be especially targeting people like Tim Willoughby or Jimmy Freed who are have since, you know, either died or gone missing. It makes you wonder, were you pulling those names out of a hat? Were you just, you know, did you just want to tell police a story? I mean, I do think it's important to mention in, you know, by everyone's account, when Alan first came forward to the police in the 1980s about what Jimmy Freed had told him, he did not get any sort of deal from that. There was no offer on the table to, we will, you know, let you out of jail early if you tell us about this. The only deal he got was in relation to any charges in the Burgershev case itself. Exactly. So that was not some sort of like, you know, there was no incentive really to lie there. Um, unless, you know, it was just in his own mind. <laughs> I, I almost wonder sometimes if he even knew what he was talking about at the end. I, I almost wonder if there was a, you know, memory issue, substance abuse issue, something like that, that just kind of maybe there was a block for him, but he remembered some of the feelings and would kind of give you an impressionistic view of things as, as far as how they felt to him at the time, you know, but you know, you can look at him from so many different lenses, a very damaged man who was trying his best and trying to come forward with what he knew, uh, somebody who was lying, but maybe had some mental health issues that would cause that, or maybe someone who was actually had some sort of malicious influence on the case and was trying to cover up what they knew and assign blame to somebody else. I mean, I don't know which was the real Alan Pruitt. It's very frustrating given how much we talk to him, but you could change your perception just like he would change his story just constantly. What frustrates me is I think the answers were locked into the alcoholic haze of his brain. 
and were lost long before uh, I ever spoke to him. At the top of the show, we played that bit where he said he swears on his daughter's grave that it was Tim Willoughby and Jeff Reed that he saw. And then he kind of says, well, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe it was this other guy. He said that a few years later. I find it very frustrating. Uh, the current investigator on the Bertishev case uh, never spoke to Alan Pruitt. And I think the, the previous investigator, I'm not sure if he ever spoke to Alan Pruitt. I wish these people who were paid by the taxpayers to work on this case had aggressively pursued conversations with Alan Pruitt at a time when perhaps Alan Pruitt wasn't as damaged as he was when we met him and could have gotten to more answers. I completely agree. I think it's disgraceful. And I don't think that you need to find him to be a credible person to acknowledge that he was there that day and elements of his story don't add up. So maybe that is somebody to try to dig into. Again, the possibilities are he's telling the truth, which I think both of us find unlikely given that he lied so much. I don't think he told the whole truth. He did not tell the whole truth. That's, I mean, I think we can both agree on that, but maybe elements of his story were true. Okay. And maybe if there's interviews and trying to find corroborating evidence, maybe that could lead to something, or maybe that could have lead to something. Maybe that could have led to something, but I think, you know, there's a possibility that he's scared. He was scared. We did hear from family members that he kind of underwent somewhat of a personality change after 1978 and became much more fearful, paranoid. So that something affected this man. He was there. He was facing the burger chef. What he saw, we cannot tell you, but we can tell you that he was there. And when in a case where it's very hard to kind of place people at the scene, that is one thing that stands out for us and makes it significant. Not the quality of the story he told or not the quality of his own character, but the fact that he was a person standing there in a place to see what happened. And that that counts for something. Counts for everything. It counts for everything. So people kind of get mad or they say, oh, he's not credible. It, it doesn't matter if he's credible. What matters is he was there. And what matters is that Elements of his story didn't add up over the years, and it needed to be drilled down. And, and we really did our best, but by the time we got to this person, he was not in a good way. I I want to say that, you know, for for some of the criticisms we've lobbed at Alan today, we 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 are very sorry for his family's loss. They they seem to be very nice people who cared about him and wanted to get him help and. And, you know, my heart goes out to them. He was very obviously a man who was loved, despite his problems and flaws. He had people in his life who loved him, yeah. who treasured him, and who mourned him. Yeah, they were good people. And, um, yeah, it, 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 I know going to Alan's house and talking with him about Burger Chef was always one of those strange mix of emotions where you were going in and kind of like hoping maybe you could get something or, or at least maybe hear enough to finally write him off or um, perhaps, you know, I mean, come away with something more and it just, 
It never happened. It never happened. It never did. And I think he, I think his eyes saw something that night, but I don't, I think I, I agree with you. I think his eyes saw that, saw something and maybe an imprint of that memory existed somewhere at some point, but I don't think his brain necessarily held on to that. And then it just became a story that he told again and again and again, different versions, you know, him as the editor, cutting out things, adding new characters. And at that point it was just lost to us all. Thanks so much for listening to the murder sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet Discussion Group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.